Well, if you would, turn with me to the letter of Paul to the Galatians. Paul's letter to the Galatians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. This morning we're going to be beginning our series in this letter, and we're going to be handling the, the whole letter, all six chapters, and this morning, we're going to be handling verses 1 to 5, which is the, the greeting, Paul's greeting. It's what this section of the letter is called. And before we go any further, if you would, please pray with me. Father, we come before You again, and I thank You for, as we were talking about a moment ago, I thank You for this time of year. I mean, every Sunday we, we celebrate, in a way, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this time of year especially, we get to have multiple Sundays, a, a whole month of, this, of Advent, of preparing for our Christmas service, where we especially read and proclaim the, the wondrous mystery and the great gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, being born as a man, taking our sins upon Him and dying on the cross for our sins. And Father, now as we begin this letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians, I ask that You would quiet my mind and my heart as I seek to preach and proclaim to Your people Your Word. It's very easy for me to get distracted as, I'm, as I am up here, but help me to, to be focused. And I pray that You would be with them, that Your Word would fall on ears and hearts that are ready to Receive these words with delight, with glad hearts. Father, build Your people up with Your Word. May it accomplish its purposes here this morning. May You build Your people up, and may the Lord Jesus Christ receive all of the glory, always and forevermore. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as usual, whenever we begin a, a new series, this first sermon is going to serve as an introduction to the letter, which means I am going to be handling the first five verses, but as I handle the first five, five verses, I'm going to be doing kind of an overview of the whole letter. And so what my goal is in this introduction sermon for Paul's letter to the Galatians is that you would have a better feel or a better understanding of why this letter was written, the, the purpose of the letter, so that you would have a better feel or understanding why this letter was written, what the purpose of the letter is, so that as we continue to go through verse by verse, it would make a lot more sense. And the way that I want to do this this morning is I want to ask five questions. Five questions that will help you to see and to understand why Paul wrote the letter and what his purpose and ultimately what God's purpose is behind this letter. And if you're a note taker, if you're taking notes this morning, you probably want to write these questions down. And also, as we go through these questions, you may notice that these questions are not only helpful for the letter uh, to the Galatians, but for reading the Bible as a whole. Because whenever you come to a certain portion of the Bible, whether it's the New Testament, 
like here in Galatians or say the Gospel of Matthew or in the Old Testament, you need to be asking yourself a certain set of questions if you want to understand properly what's going on. Like, who was it written to? Who was the author, if the author is named? What's the context going on? Why was this author writing to this particular people group or whatever? We want to ask questions like that. And this, this is helpful not only for this part of the Bible, but the Bible as a whole. So these are the five questions. We'll name them off. First question. Who were the Galatians? Who were the Galatians? Second question we're going to be dealing with. Why is Paul writing to the Galatians? Third, what is the tone of the letter? What's Paul's tone as he writes to the Galatians? What kind of of tone are these people supposed to be hearing in his letter as it was read before these churches? Question four, what is Paul's message to the Galatians? And whenever we come to question four, that's mainly where I'm going to be giving an overview of the letter. And I'm also going to be giving, stating my purpose statement for the letter when we come to question four. And then finally, question five. Why does the message of Galatians still matter for us today? And that's probably going to be one of the most important questions that we deal with this morning. Why is Paul's message to the Galatians, or why does the message of Galatians still matter to us today? So let's read these verses together. Paul's greeting, and then we're going to walk through those five questions. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's begin with our first question. First thing that we need to be asking ourselves, first thing that you need to be asking yourselves as we consider this letter is, who were the Galatians? And you can see from the second part of verse 2 that That's the series of churches that this letter, that Paul has addressed his letter to. To the churches of Galatia. So who are these churches? Who are the people of these churches? Where were they located at? Well, this may be hard to picture in your minds because we're not looking at a map right now, but if you would like, either during the sermon or after the sermon... You most likely have maps in the back of your Bible. And if you were to look at a map that shows Paul's first missionary journey, if you were to look at that map, it would show that during his first missionary journey, he went to a series of churches located in Central Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. Well, in the southern part of that area... Asia Minor, Central Asia Minor, 
There are some towns or cities by the names of Derby, Iconium, Lystra, and Antioch, which was in Pisidia, not to be confused with the Antioch that was in Syria, which was Paul's headquarters in that day. So these are the cities that Paul most likely went to in his first missionary journey and planted churches there. He shared the gospel with these towns, these cities, the people that were there, and he planted churches. And so that is most likely around the year... A.D. 48-49, which is where scholars place the writing of this letter. So around A.D. 48-49, Paul wrote to these churches. They were located in that area. And they were called Galatians. Because at one point, the Roman Empire made that part of the country one province. And they called it Galatia. So even though some of these people didn't necessarily have a Galatian ethnicity background, they were still known as Galatians because that was the province that they lived in. So that's why he titles the churches as Galatian churches because it's the province that they were located at in that period of time. Second question. Why is Paul writing to the Galatians? So we know who the Galatians are. We have a good idea of what these churches, who these churches were, where they were located at. Now, why is Paul writing to them? What is his purpose? What is the occasion that he's writing to them? Well, in this time period, after Paul had gone and planted these churches, shared the gospel and planted uh, the churches in this area. From what we can see in the letter, and I'll show you some places here in a moment, but as we're going to see as we go throughout the letter, it seems that false teachers, probably Judaizers, a a sect, a, a group of people who called themselves Christians, but they claimed that you needed something else besides Christ to be sanctified or to be kept in the faith. So these false teachers had come in and they were telling the Galatian Christians that, yes, we believe in Christ. The Christ has come. The Messiah has come. And He has has purchased our salvation. But if you want to stay saved, if you want to stay right with God, you need to be doing these other things as well. Like, you need to be circumcised. That was one big thing that they said that these Gentile Christians, which were the Galatian Christians, that's what their ethnicity was primarily, that's what it primarily was. They were Gentile Christians. And so they were telling these Gentile Christians that they needed to be circumcised, that they needed to keep these food laws, you know, going back to the Old Testament, these ceremonies. So they were bringing all of this stuff back in and they were putting it on the Galatians. They were trying to deceive them that they needed these things to continue to be in right standing with God. And you can see... In verse 6 of chapter 1, 
Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. So they were turning to a so-called other gospel. These people were preaching a different gospel and they were turning to it. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul tells the Galatians, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, referring to these false teachers. They were bewitching, they were deceiving these Christians. So you can see just by these couple of verses that they were coming in, infiltrating these churches, and they were deceiving these Christians. And they were believing it, which you could also see from these verses. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him, Christ, who has called you. You're turning away. They're believing these lies. And so Paul is writing to counter this. He's arguing that they should not turn from the true gospel, as we're going to see in a moment. So Paul seeks to confront the Galatians about turning away from the gospel, and he wants to lead them back to the true gospel. Now, what is the the tone of the letter? In light of all of that going on, the context of the situation, you know, these false teachers coming in and they're trying to deceive the Galatians, these Christians who Paul has labored with as his own children. He's come in, he's shared the faith with them, he's built them up, he's treated them like his own children in the faith. And now... They're being deceived. And they're turning away from that gospel. So what do you think the tone of this letter is going to be if you were to sit there and think about it? It'd probably be one of agitation, wouldn't you think? Paul is agitated. He's not happy to hear this. Because one of the ways that these false teachers are trying to deceive these first century Christians, is that they are undermining His authority as an apostle. They're trying to get the Galatian Christians to believe that Paul, Paul's authority as an apostle is, I guess you could say, second rate. He's not in the same category as the original twelve apostles. They're saying that Paul got his gospel, got his authority from man or through man, which is why he starts off this letter the way that he does in verse 1. He says, Paul, which he's identifying himself as the author there. There's nothing uncommon about that. And then he says, an apostle. Again, nothing uncommon about that. Pretty much every letter that Paul has written in the New Testament, he addresses or he begins as Paul, an apostle. There's nothing uncommon about that. But there's something in that verse that is unique to just the letter of Galatians, to the Galatians. And it's what he says next. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. 
and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. So you can see why He begins the letter the way that He does. These false teachers are coming in and they're telling these Christians, hey, Paul, you know, I know that he has, has come and he shared the gospel with you. He's told you that, you know, all you need is Christ and what he's done, done for you on your behalf through his death, resurrection. But look, yeah, he's an apostle and there, there may be some truth to his message, but he's not like the other apostles. You know, the, the ones that walked with Jesus. The ones who lived with Christ. He didn't really know Jesus. So his message that he's speaking to you, he's getting it from somebody else. He didn't get it directly from Christ, which was critical for an apostle. It's what an apostle is. Isn't it? It's a person who received authority directly from Jesus himself. So you think about all the so-called apostles that call themselves that today, they're fakes and they're liars. The only way that you became an apostle is if Jesus Christ Himself appointed you an apostle. He told you Himself that you were speaking on His behalf, which is what He did with the original twelve minus Judas who betrayed Him. And then later on, you know, the twelve got together and they appointed Matthias. They casted lots. And God, through His sovereign will, through them casting lots, appointed Matthias to replace Judas. And then later on you had Paul, which we're going to see in this letter. He's going to explain to us his story on the road to Damascus where Christ Himself came and appointed him as an apostle. So you needed to have a direct meeting with Jesus and Him put that authority on you. So if you ever meet somebody that says, hey, I'm an apostle of Christ, run, because they're lying. They're not apostles. So Paul is he's agitated. He's not happy to hear that these guys are undermining his authority. Not mainly because it's hurting his reputation, oh, they're talking about me, you know, they're, they're putting to shame my authority as apostle. But he is so unhappy and so agitated because if his authority as an apostle is undermined, then what do you think happens to the gospel that he proclaims? Then you can kind of push it to the side, right? If Paul is a second-rate apostle then his gospel is a second-rate gospel. And it's not directly from Christ. And Paul's not going to have any of that. That's why he's so unhappy. And that's why he starts his letter the way that he does. Not from men. Let's be clear, Galatians. I know what they've been telling you. But I am an apostle not from men, not through man, but directly through Jesus Christ and God the Father. It's not as if Jesus Christ was acting by Himself, you know, coming up with this on the spot. But God the Father is a part of this. Who raised Christ from the dead? You have God as a whole operating in this situation. 
making Paul an apostle, giving him his authority, who raised him from the dead, speaking of the resurrection of Christ, an historical event, it happened. And all the brothers who are with me, you know, all the brothers that are with me, all of these other Christians, they agree with me. They agree on this gospel. So Galatians, please believe. And you can see Paul's agitation again in verse 6 of chapter 1 where he says, I am astonished. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. And then look down in verses... 8 and 9 of chapter 1, where he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, that is, whenever we came and we planted these churches among you, whenever we preached the gospel to you, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to that, let him be accursed. In other words, let him be damned. That's some, some stark language there. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is serious. He's not putting up with anyone who seeks to undermine the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, you can see this in chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, O foolish Galatians, the Galatians are foolish for turning from this gospel. Again, you can see the, the urgency and the agitation that Paul has for these Christians. They're turning from the gospel, the true gospel. And in chapter 5, verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves or castrate themselves. Paul's saying that to the false teachers who are there or the agitators as some scholars call them. He's saying that those who are coming in, undermining the gospel of Christ, undermining my authority as an apostle, they should castrate themselves. That's how serious this is. Paul is unhappy. He will not put up with someone trying to distort the gospel. And I want to bring up an example here. Think about this for a moment. That way we can see where Paul's coming from. Think about if you were to meet a, an unbeliever in Christ and you were to spend time with this, this unbeliever. You were to share the gospel with them and they believed. And then God gave you the privilege of spending a good amount of time with this person, sharing the gospel with them, maybe reading books together, something of that sort, basically helping them in the faith, raising them up in the faith. God has given you the opportunity to lead them through conversion and then learning about the gospel. And then let's say, you know, for some reason you guys can't meet for six months to a year, whatever. So you have spent all of this time you know, talking about the gospel, learning about the gospel, building this person up in the gospel, and you have, it seems like you've seen fruit in this person, receiving it with gladness, 
And then six months later, a year later, not being able to meet with them, you hear from somebody else that they have in fact turned from it. And they're going after a different gospel. What would you think? You'd be thinking, what? Why? Why are they turning from the gospel? The true gospel where freedom is found as Paul is going to say later on. You would be very unhappy, right? To hear that this person has turned. You know, all of this work that we've done. I mean, think about all the things we've talked about. All the things that we've read. All the truth that you've seen. And you're turning from it. Why? Why are you turning from the gospel? You know, you'd be seriously concerned for this person and you'd be seriously agitated at whoever was coming in and whispering in their ears that it was false. That whatever you said was half true. That they needed other things. That's where Paul's coming from here. This is what's happening in this letter. And you can see some of his his love for these Christians as well. You know, primarily his tone is agitation, but there's also love and great concern. And you can see that in chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, for freedom Christ has set you free, brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't turn from it. And then again in chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. The gospel I proclaim to you that we learned together, it calls you to freedom. Don't turn from it. He is concerned for these Christians. He loves them. These are His brothers and sisters in Christ. Supposedly, anyways. If they persevere. If they wander, then they have proven that they did not believe in the first place. So Paul is very concerned. He's agitated, but he is also concerned and has great love for these Christians. Fourth. Fourth question. So we have seen so far who were the Galatians, you know, who, who, who occupied these, serious, these series of churches. Second, why is Paul writing to the Galatians? What's the context going on there? And then third, what we just looked at, what is the tone of the letter? How, how does Paul want these Christians, these Galatian Christians, to read his letter? And now fourth, what is Paul's message to the Galatians. <clears throat> In short, Paul's message to the Galatians is that there is only one gospel and that they need to turn back to that gospel. There's only one. There's only one gospel. And you Galatian Christians need to turn back to that gospel which we originally preached to you when we came and planted these churches. Now, how is Paul going to do this? Now, let's look at an overview of the letter. How is Paul going to lay out this message to the Galatians? Well, in chapters 1 to 2, you can divide that into a, a, a part of the letter. 
And then chapters 3 and 4, you can divide that into a part. And then in chapters 4 and 5, you can divide that into a part. So there's three parts overall, generally speaking. You know, some of these overlap one another. But generally speaking, you can divide the letter into three parts. And the first part, Paul is going to spend the bulk of his time defending his apostolic authority and the gospel that he received. He's going to spend the bulk of chapters 1 and 2 defending that. Because again, if you can prove that Paul did not get the gospel directly from Christ, then the gospel is done. You can mold it, change it, however you want. Because that's Paul's gospel. He's a man. He's infallible. Or fallible, excuse me. He's, a, he's fallible. But if he is in fact an apostle directly from Christ, then he is infallible. And the words he speak are God's words. And you can't change God's words. I mean, you could try to, but it doesn't matter. They're God's words and they bear God's authority, the authority of Christ. So he's going to spend chapters 1 and 2 defending that authority and the gospel that he received. And then chapters 3 and 4. In chapters 3 and 4, Paul is going to be arguing from Scripture, from the Bible, from the Old Testament, which is the Scripture they had at that point. He's going to be arguing there that the Old Testament law had always pointed forward to Christ, which is something that these false teachers were trying to deceive the Galatians with, saying things like, yeah, you need Christ. Yeah, Christ has come. He's the Messiah. But you need all these other things too. You know, you need circumcision. You need to eat these kind of foods. You need to stay away from those. You know, you still need to take part in some of the Old Testament law. You know, it's not all done away with. But Paul's going to show them, no, no, no. It's always pointed to Christ. God gave the law so that it would point us to the one who would come and through the law, give us freedom. So that's what he's going to spend chapters 3 and 4 laying out. Arguing from Scripture that the Old Testament law has always pointed forward to the one, Jesus, who would fulfill it. And then we come to chapters 5 and 6. And in chapters 5 and 6, third part of the letter, Paul is going to take that truth and he's going to apply it to these Christians, to the Galatian Christians. He's going to apply those truths to the Galatians, and he's going to urge them to walk in it, in those truths. You know, in the freedom that is found in Christ, you know, Him fulfilling the law for us, He's going to urge the Galatians to walk in that freedom. You know, Christ has done all this for you. So therefore, because He has done that, you walk in it. Walk in that freedom. And I don't want to get into too much of chapters 5 and 6, but He's going to show these different ways that this applies to our lives. Everyday lives as, as Christians. He's going to apply it to the Galatians originally and also to us. And now, in light of what I just said, the overview of the book, here is my purpose statement. This is my purpose statement for the letter. 
And Lord willing, through this statement, it will better help you to, wherever you're reading, remember what the purpose is and keep you on track. So this is my statement, purpose statement for the, for the letter. There is only one gospel. And that gospel teaches you can only be justified before God by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Therefore, embrace the gospel and walk in the freedom it gives. Say that one more time. There is only one gospel, and that gospel teaches you can only be justified, that is, be made right with God. You can only be justified before God by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Therefore, embrace the gospel and walk in the freedom it gives. That's our purpose statement for the letter. And here in the greeting, these first five verses, you can already see Paul unpacking that. Because look again in verse 1 where Paul's defending his apostolic authority where he says, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. You know, talking about the resurrection of Christ. You know, that historical moment that changed everything. Christ in His resurrection proved that He was in fact, still is, He is in fact the Son of God and all the miracles and everything that He taught was true. It was genuine. He claimed victory over the grave. Paul brings that up here in the first verse for a specific reason. And then in verse 3, grace to you. Grace to you. So in light of what these false teachers are teaching, you have here grace to you. Now that has an impact It packs a punch now, doesn't it? These people are saying you need other things besides Christ. But Paul begins his letter, and this is common for Paul, by the way, to do this, but it packs an especially powerful punch here in Galatians because of the context, but he says, grace to you. In other words, God giving you what you do not deserve because you cannot earn it and you have failed. Grace to you and peace, reconciliation, being made right with God through that grace that you cannot earn in any way. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins. He gave Himself for our sins. You don't do anything to pay for your sins. You can't. Jesus Christ gave Himself for that reason. Who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. According, again, He's putting the will of God the Father in here. 
This has been planned for all eternity. This wasn't plan B or it just didn't come out of nowhere. Thin air. According to the will of our God and Father. And then Paul closes the greeting with a doxology. He says, To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, glory to God alone. That's where I get that part in my purpose statement. By faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. No one else receives the praise in the gospel. Only Christ, only God receives the glory. Our final question, question five. Why does the message of Galatians still matter for us today? So as we are walking through this letter together, as we're reading what Paul you know, originally wrote to these Christians, all this stuff going on, why does that matter to you? Why should you read Galatians? Why should you meditate on it? Why should you, you know, care anything about what Paul is about to say to you here in Galatians? Why does that matter? Well, one reason. You and I may not be in the exact context as the Galatian Christians were. I mean, we don't really have any false teachers coming in and saying or trying to deceive us by saying that, yes, we accept Christ, but you need the law also. You know, you need to be circumcised. There's nobody in here telling you that you need to be circumcised. There's nobody in here telling you that you must eat certain foods and abstain from others. But... Within our hearts, as sinful human beings, we have the same temptation that the Galatian Christians have, which is, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we can work for our salvation. That we can attain salvation in something that we can do. Now, you may not say that, but think about this. When you do something wrong, you know, when you make a mistake, or if you fail, like in your workplace or whatever, what is, what's the fir- what is one of the first things that you think of? You know, I need to do this to make up for that. You know, if I do this, then that covers that mistake. You know, my coworkers, they won't see that anymore because, man, look at what Ryan did now. Yeah, that just, we're not worried about that little mistake that you did anymore. You know, this makes up for that. Well, it doesn't work like that with God. It does not work that way with God. There is no gift, there is no sacrifice that you can give or can make that can you know, repay God. Whatever you have, God has given it to you. He owns it. What are you going to give to Him? Your time? He gave you your time. Your gifts, your money? God doesn't need your money. Make a sacrifice. God's the one who breathed life into every human being, animal, creature on the face of the earth. He doesn't need what you have. You are helpless in this area. And so, grace to you rings all the more true when you understand that. And that's what Paul's arguing for here in this letter. You are helpless. You need the grace of God that is in Christ. Because we all have this selfish 
you know, idea, or excuse me, sinful idea within us that we can, you know, somehow pull ourselves up to God by our, our bootstraps. Secondly, we need to hear again and again that there is freedom in the gospel. As Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. You need to preach that to yourselves every day. You know, like I'm preaching to you now, you need to preach that to yourselves. Because what happens whenever we make these mistakes or whenever we sin against our brothers and sisters in Christ or we sin against God, we, we are extremely hard on ourselves. You know, we think we have to do something to make up for it. And in those moments, we're enslaving ourselves. You know, like Paul says to the Galatians here in this letter, he says, don't submit once again to a yoke of slavery. When you get in that mindset, when you think that way, that you have to do something or that you need to do something to make yourself right again, you're becoming a slave. You're enslaving yourself because you are saying in your minds, you know, I need to do this that will then set me free. But the fact is, you know, just like the law, you can't do any of those things. You know, whatever it is that you come up with in your mind that that makes you think you're going to be made right with God, it's not going to work. And so you have enslaved yourselves underneath a a burden that will never be lifted. But the Gospel teaches that you have done nothing to make yourself right with God. And on the other side of this, and this is extremely dangerous, by the way, to say this. So you can do nothing to make yourself right with God, and you can also do nothing to disqualify yourself before God. Now you can see where a lot of people would let's sin all the more. You know, that's why Paul has his argument in the book of Romans where he says, you know, should we just sin all the more that grace may abound? And his answer is of course no, because when you become a Christian, when you know the gospel, you will bear fruit and you will walk in the gospel. But the truth still stands. You can do nothing to make yourself worthy before God, and then after God saves you through the gospel, there is nothing that you can do that will disqualify you before God. What a freedom. And that's the freedom that Paul is putting before the Galatians and before us. For freedom Christ has set you free. So walk in that freedom, brothers and sisters in Christ. Preach that freedom to yourselves daily. And I could bring up other things, but I'm not going to because we'll get there gradually as we go through the letter. But that's the overview of the letter. That's what we're going to see. And it's going to be glorious. So may you be reading this letter with me. May you be meditating it, meditating on it with me. And may you be reminded of the freedom that Christ has bought for you as we go through this series together. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the freedom that he has bought for us. That we cannot attain justification 
in and of ourselves. We are too sinful and too wretched. But through Christ, Father, you have, you've bought us. You've, you've made us new. You've given us life. And in this life, through the gospel, once we've been made new, there's nothing that we can do that will disqualify us or that will take us away from your presence. This is the freedom of the gospel. And I pray that your people would know that. And if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know that freedom, Father, may they embrace it. May they embrace the gospel and be free from the slavery of the world, from the slavery of trying to accomplish works on their own. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.